I'm going to read um, our passage uh, from Scripture this morning, which if you've got your Bible in front of you or if you've got your uh, little journal uh, as you've been going through Hebrews, then if you want to open it now, that'll be great. We're going to Hebrews 10 uh, from verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Hope you can see and hear me okay. Sorry for any problems we've had this morning with sound. Hope no one's uh, got hearing damage after that, but hopefully we're okay now. Um, My name is Andrew. If you're a visitor, my name is Andrew. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Village, and it's my job this morning to uh, bring our message for this morning, which comes from Hebrews chapter 10, that uh, this series that we've been doing the whole way through uh, the book of Hebrews that we've called Jesus is Better. Um, And so we're continuing with that this morning. There is an episode of one of my favorite TV shows called The West Wing in which the president's wife reads in the newspaper a story about a woman in a woman's shelter who is in in really desperate need. And this woman has suffered a lot and it really speaks to the president's wife's heart. And so she decides that she's going to send her some money. And so, because it was the 90s, she writes a check. If you don't know what that is, like, look, Google that, right? It's basically you could make up, and you could make your own money. Write your own money on a piece of paper and give it to someone. Um, so she sends her a check in the post. But after a few months go past, or some time goes past, they realize that the woman hasn't uh, cashed the check. And so they begin to wonder why. But it turns out that this woman is so delighted to have received a check from the First Lady of the United States, right? Someone extremely important and famous and powerful that she frames the check and hangs it on her wall instead of cashing it in, even though she's in desperate need of the money. And this can be a bit like us when it comes to our knowledge of God, when it comes to the things that we read about God and know about God from the Bible. Uh, This is what the author of Hebrews wants us to realize from the passage that Alan just read for us. Today, we we reach a a turning point in this book. um, And like any good preacher, he has been, the author has been building up his case, explaining all this amazing truth from scriptures. And now as we begin to move into these final few chapters, he begins to apply the truth that he's been teaching. And he's saying, listen, everything I've been showing you, everything I've been teaching you, this needs to make a difference in your lives. These aren't just truths about Jesus for the truth's sake. These are truths about Jesus that should change the the very attitude of your heart. It should change the very course of your life. And here's the thing. If all we have is knowledge about God that doesn't change our lives, It's like getting a check and framing it 
instead of putting it in the bank. I think there's, there's two attitudes that, that Christians can have, that we, we can have as Christians. There's, there's what I need to do, and there's what I need to know, right? And we tend to probably move between uh, both of these, but, but, but all of us are either more one than the other. I'm probably more of a what I need to know. But when we say, what do I need to know? We want to earn our salvation, don't we? Just tell me what I need to do to find favor with God. Tell me how I can be a good Christian. And when we say, what do I need to know? We value knowledge about God over action because of God. If I can just know all the right answers, if I can explain all the doctrines, the Trinity and justification and sanctification, then I'll be good. Then I'll be a good Christian. But the Christian life is about both. It's about both knowledge of God and action because of God. The Christian life is a life grounded in doctrine, actively lived out. In other words, our lives should be grounded in the truth of the Bible, and then that truth should be intentionally lived out through our actions. We can't afford to get the check, put it in a frame, and hang it on the wall. These amazing truths that we've been learning about the Lord Jesus need to shape how we live, right? And here's, the, here, here's the, what I want us to see from this passage this morning. Our access to God and the advocacy of Jesus lead to a life of intimacy with God, holding on to hope, and encouraging one another. Let me say that again, because I know some of you will be writing it down. Our access to God and the advocacy of Jesus lead to a life of intimacy with God, holding on to hope, and encouraging one another. In other words, that just means uh, because we have access to God through Jesus, we should pursue intimacy with God, we should hold on to hope, and we should be constantly encouraging one another. This is what our lives look like when we live out our knowledge of God. This is what it looks like when we take the check off the wall and take it down to the bank. Have a look at verses 19 to 20 with me again. I'm just going to read it so we can kind of follow as we, as we go through. Therefore, brothers, or actually it's brothers and sisters. The word there means brothers and sisters. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you women don't get off the hook, okay? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened, us, opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Firstly, we have access to God. Here's what he's saying. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, you have full and complete access to God. There are no areas of God for you that are off limits, right? Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, made a way for you to be in the presence of God. And not only that, but to be in in the presence of God with confidence. We don't have to approach God timidly, or nervously. We don't have to wonder if we'll be welcomed there. Because of Jesus, Hebrew says, we have full, unadulterated access to God. Now, generally, the most powerful and important people in the world are off limits to us, right? You can't just phone up Tom Hanks and have a chat, or drop into Downing Street for a cup of tea. It's up to you if you want to do that or not. I mean, depend on your persuasions. But it's not like this with God and his children, right? You don't need a backstage pass. There aren't special off-limit members-only areas with a a bouncer and a rope. It's not like that. With With us and God, it's access all areas, full access all the time. But not only do we have access to God, we have we have the advocacy of Jesus. 
This just means that Jesus is our representative. That's what an advocate is. Somebody who stands up for you. Somebody who represents you. Somebody who makes your case. And Jesus, as our great priest over the house of God, that is the church. The house of God is us, the church. Jesus is our advocate. So we have access and we have advocacy. But now we have to ask, so what? So what? Well, it's time to get the check off the wall, out of the frame, and take it down to the bank. It's time to apply these great truths to our lives. And here's what it means. Firstly, access to God and the advocacy of Jesus lead to a life of pursuing intimacy with God. Verse 22, let us, uh, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, here's what I want to focus on for a second, because we can easily skip over this. Do you realize that God wants to be close to you? Have you ever, have you ever thought about this for, for even a second? God wants to be close to you because he does. And he's gone to great lengths to make it possible. God so desires to be close to you that he has made it possible by purifying us through the sacrifice of his own son. Listen, I can't think of, I was thinking about this this week. It sounds kind of a morbid thought. I can't think of one single thing in the world that I would want so much that it would make me ever sacrifice my son. The thought of it makes me sick. But God wants intimate relationship with you so much that he sacrificed his own son. God wanted intimate relationship with you so much that it was worth sacrificing his only son for. God delights in intimacy with his children, right? In in my imperfect human love as a dad, I love it, honestly, I love it nothing more than when one of my kids comes up and gets under my arm uh, for a cuddle. There's honestly nothing on earth that gives me more joy. And I remember as a young man and people saying things like that, and I would be like, come on, are you joking? But but now I get the experience that it's true. There is nothing in life that makes me happier, fills me with more joy. Just those, those wee arms around you or a wee head under your, oh, it's the best feeling in the world. So how much more, how much more does God, our perfect Father, who has this infinite love, this perfect love, find joy when we pursue intimacy with Him? And you're thinking, well, well, that sounds nice and all, but why is it important? Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you asked. Well, actually, I asked, but I'm asking on your behalf. Because the basis of our salvation is the finished work of Christ, right? We all agree with that. But the fuel, the fuel of the Christian life is intimacy with God. The fuel of intimacy with Christ is, uh, the fuel of of the Christian life is intimacy with God. Just like the basis of my marriage. Uh, The basis of my marriage is the vows that, that me and Haley made to each other on our wedding day. That was when we moved from being single to being married. I vowed to, to never leave you or forsake you. I, I, I mean, I'm, I was going to say I can't remember my vows. I can. I remember what they mean. That's the basis of our, of our marriage. But our life together is fueled by our intimacy and our relationship. That's what sustains it. That's what keeps it moving forward. That's what keeps it on track. 
And if we try to live Christian lives without intimacy with God, it's like trying to drive your car without putting petrol in. And notice how we are to draw near to God. Verse 21, with full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Now, sorry, I got a dry throat this morning. Now, in our world, faith and assurance are, are, are contradictions, right? They contradict one another. They're the opposite of one another. Faith is seen like a blind leap in the dark. An assurance is seen like something firm and tangible that can be proved and held and touched. Faith is like Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade when he takes that step out into the ravine, trusting that something will hold him up. And, and an assurance is like when he turns back and throws sand on the invisible bridge so the others can cross. That tends to be the way we think about it. Faith is a, a leap in the dark, and assurance is something firm and tangible. But here's what the Bible is saying. Here's what Hebrews is saying to us this morning. Faith in Christ is not a leap in the dark. Faith in Christ is full assurance. Faith in Christ is the most dependable thing in the world because, because Christ is the most dependable thing in the world. Later on, in, in a few weeks' time, we get to chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's dependable. That's assurance. And so it's with full assurance that we can pursue intimacy with God. This year, we've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia with Finley. And I'm not, well, I, I'm a little embarrassed, but I will tell you, last night we were reading a bit, and it talks in one of the books, The, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, when, uh, anyway, it's Eustace's conversion experience. And, and I, I, I teared up. That's not the story I'm about to tell. I just thought I'd share it with you. So you know I'm a sensitive guy. It really got to me. Um, but the, the deal is that when we finish a book, then he gets to watch the movie. Um, and I just love how C.S. Lewis portrays intimacy with God through uh, Lucy's relationship with Aslan. Lucy, the little girl, in, in the, one of the little girls in the story. And the other day we were watching Prince Caspian. And, and uh, there's a scene where, where Lucy is, is, is being chased through the forest by a, a bad guy on a horse. And, and she's on a horse. And it looks like he's getting closer and closer. And he's going uh, to catch up with her and, and uh, you know, harm her or kill her or worse. And, and she's trying her hardest to get away. And then she sees this shape through the trees. And all of a sudden, she hears this massive roar. And this lion jumps. It's Aslan. He jumps out and he knocks the guy off his horse and sends him running away. And Lucy is petrified by this roar, scared stiff. And then in an instant, she realizes that it's her Aslan. And then they're, they're rolling around and they're laughing and they're rolling around in the grass, and they're enjoying each other's company. This is the intimacy with God that He desires us to have. He's not just there to, to, to defeat our enemies. He's there for relationship with us. Intimacy of God fuels our Christian lives. It's intimacy with God that, that we were created for. And so that might lead you to ask, and rightly so, what does it look like to pursue intimacy with God? This is something that we've been talking about for a while. It's, 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 it's something that, that we want to do more teaching on. Pursuing intimacy with God is part of our three-year vision for the church. We want to create a culture of abiding in Christ, abiding in Jesus. This is the same thing as, as pursuing intimacy with God, because it's through Jesus that we, we come to God. 
And we're, doing a teach, we're going to do a teaching series on this, but, but let me try and distill this idea down for us for a second, just for the sake of time. If I, had to, if I had to put it in one sentence, here's what I would say. We pursue intimacy with God by cultivating lives of practicing the presence of, of God daily through prayer, reading His Word, and participation in the church. We pursue intimacy with God by cultivating lives of practicing the presence of God daily through prayer, reading His Word, and participating in the life of the church. There are other things that God has given us to, to allow intimacy with Him. For example, the other day I was out riding my bike in the countryside in the sun, and I was just praising God for blue skies and smooth roads and rolling hills. But the main ways that God has given us to be intimate with Him are prayer, our means of communication with Him, His Word, His means of communication uh, with us, and the church, our life together. Pursuing God is, is about yearning to know Him and setting aside time for Him, right? Like me and Haley. We've been in the house a lot together over the past year. Um, but, but throughout the day, we're constantly just chatting away about whatever comes up. And there's the odd hug here and the odd kiss there. And, and, but, but we also plan dates together, right? It's not just the spontaneous stuff. It's, we, we plan to set aside time for each other. Still, after all these years, pursuing one another. And pursuing God, pursuing intimacy with God, is about constant communion and planning those dates together. This is the fuel for the Christian life. Listen, if you don't have intimacy with God, it's no wonder that it feels like your car is rolling to a stop. If you don't pursue intimacy with God, it's no wonder that you feel a bit discouraged and dried up, and you find it hard to believe the things that you used to believe six months ago or a year ago or five years ago. If we're not pursuing intimacy with God, it's like we've been sent the check in the post and all we've done is frame it and put it on the wall. The knowledge is there, but it's not really making any difference. So let's pursue intimacy with God because through Him we have full access. Through Jesus we have full access. You don't need an appointment. You don't need to go through a secretary. Because of Jesus, it's full access all the time. So access to God and the advocacy of Jesus leads to a life of pursuing intimacy with God, but also a life of holding on to hope. This is what we see in verse 23. Let me read it with us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The confession of our hope, if you're wondering what that means, that just means uh, what we say, okay? What we confess is what we say. So uh, the confession of our hope is just what we say we get our hope from, okay? So if we say our hope is in Jesus, then let's practice what we preach and hold on to that hope. If we say our hope is in the resurrection, let's practice what we preach and hold on to the hope of the resurrection. If we say our hope is in God, then let's practice what we preach and, and hold on to our hope in God. You see, the hope that we have uh, as Christians is not just optimism that things will somehow work out okay, okay? It, it's not just, uh, oh, I hope the schools go back soon. And believe me, I do, um, and probably all the parents do. It's not just hoping that, oh, I hope I get to go on holidays this year. But the hope that we have as Christians is full assurance based on the person and work of our Lord Jesus. Back in Hebrews chapter 6, the preacher described our, our hope as an anchor based in heaven. 
You might remember John preaching on this. I remember listening to the sermon back, and, and he talked about the upside-down anchor, the anchor based in heaven. This is what he says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor, for, sure and steadfast anchor of the souls, a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, our hope is not just optimism. Our hope is an anchor for our souls. Our hope is, 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 is in Jesus. Even the captain of the, mo- of the most modern ship in the world with advanced navigation systems, stabilization systems, GPS, radar, all those things, no one would ever dream of going to sea without an anchor. It's the oldest part of ship technology apart from the ship itself, but it's the one that still exists. Why? Because in the storm, when all else fails, what's GPS going to do? It's the anchor that keeps you from drifting into the rocks, from being blown off course. It's the anchor that holds you firm. And the greatest test of where our hope lies, if our hope is actually in the confession of Jesus Christ, is what we do when the storms of life come. So when the storms do come, is your hope in Christ sure and steadfast? Or are you just blown about all over the place? There are people in our church who have gone through tragedy and sorrow that I, 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 that I hope I never have to experience, that I would not wish on my worst enemy. And they did so with unwavering hope in the Lord. And I have to, I have to be honest with you, there's nothing so encouraging than seeing people going through the depths of the worst storm you can imagine, grief and pain like, like that we can't imagine, and doing so with unwavering hope in Christ. And through the storm, you can, you can see that they haven't framed the check and put it on the wall. No, their check is in the bank. That's sustaining their need. Their hope isn't just head knowledge. They are actively in the storm living out the promises of God. I will never leave you or forsake you. That doesn't change just because it starts raining or the waves get a little bit bigger. When our hope is founded in Christ, it's a hope that can't be moved by any circumstances. You see, all of us will happily say our hope is in Jesus. Oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, your hope is in Jesus. I I doubt there's even one person who's part of our church family that would say that their hope isn't in Jesus. But it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing entirely to live it. The other great test of where your hope lies is, is, is what you worry about and how you worry. Do you worry about money? Do you worry about your job? Do you worry about your singleness or your marriage? Do you worry about your kids? Listen, I'm not saying that those things aren't to be concerned about, but when our hope is in Christ, our concern for these things moves from worry to trusting stewardship. Stewardship, I said that a bit funny. When when, when our hope is really in Christ, our our concern about money moves from worry to trusting stewardship. When our uh, our concern about our singleness... uh, when our hope is in Christ, our concern about singleness moves from, from, from worry to trust, trusting stewardship. Trusting God and doing what's right with the situation that we've been given by Him. Simply put, and I, you know, 
just as we were praying before we gathered this morning, uh, someone was praying, Miss Anne was praying, and she just kept saying, Jesus is better, over and over and over again. And, and that's the theme of this book. And, and holding on to our hope is to declare, no matter what, that Jesus is better. That in the highest highs of our lives, we declare, Jesus is better even than this. And in the depths of our deepest valleys, we declare Jesus is better. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to hold on to the confession of our hope. Jesus is better. That's the confession of our hope. And this is what we hold on to. Now, here's the amazing thing about the hope we have. Actually, I'll read the end of verse 23 again. I'll read the whole verse again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Listen to this. For... He who promised is faithful. This is incredible. The basis of our hope is not our faithfulness, but His, right? The basis of our hope is not our ability to hold on to Him, but His ability to hold on to us. Trust me, if it were down to me, I would have let go a thousand times over, a million times over. On the first slightly windy day, I would have just been blown off course. At the first temptation to worry, I would have put my trust in something else. If you're a Christian, the fact that your hope is still in Christ is a sheer miracle of God's grace. Even the faith that we have in Him is a gift from Him. For He who promised is faithful. We can put it this way. Because God is faithful, let us hold on to the hope we have in Him. Isn't that lovely? Because God is faithful, let us hold on to the hope we have in Him. He is steadfast. He is, is complete assurance. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have this idea that our access to God and the advocacy we have in Jesus leads us to pursue intimacy with God. It leads us to, to hold on to the hope that we have in Him. And finally then, thirdly, thirdly and finally then, it leads us to a life of encouraging one another. Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's what this is saying, right? To live this thing uh, that we call the Christian life, we need each other. To live a life of following Jesus, you need me and I need you. That's what this is saying. We are far more likely to pursue intimacy with Jesus and to hold on to our hope if we are being encouraged by our brothers and sisters. And that's just a fact. Like You know this to be true in every area of your life. If I go out for a bike ride of my own, um, my performance will depend on uh, probably how I'm feeling that day. But if I go out in a bike ride with other people, I will push a wee bit harder. I will ride a wee bit further. On our own, we are far more likely to give up. We are far more likely to give in. And this is so important. It's so important that it's a command, but it's so important that he says that we are to consider how to encourage and motivate each other. We are to give special attention to this. It's not something we just drift into. But the command here is to look closely. Look closely at how you might motivate and encourage each other to live in the way of Jesus. 
Because the temptation here is to try and go it alone, right? Isn't it? Sure, we, it's far easier to not have any responsibility to other people, to not have to sacrifice your time for other people. And it's definitely easier to not have to confess your sins to anyone. But it's also true that on your own, you are far more likely to fall into sin, to give in to temptation, and even to fall away from Jesus. The idea that you can be an independent Christian without the church is a cultural one, not a biblical one. The world tells us that we can be independent on my own. I'm doing it on my own, my way. Jesus says, you need the church. This is why we're commanded to not neglect meeting together. No, yes, we are commanded to not neglect meeting together. You see, the meeting together is not only for worshiping God, although it definitely is, but the gathering actually exists for mutual encouragement. I sometimes describe it this way, and it's an analogy that falls down at some point, like all analogies, but hear me out. Now, imagine you're playing football or rugby or something, and you come into the, you come into the changing room at halftime, come off the pitch, you come in at halftime, that's like the church gathering. What do you get? You get sustenance. You get a word of encouragement. You get motivation to keep going. You get the team talk to keep going. And then regardless if, you, if you're 3-0 down or 5-0 up, you go back out onto the pitch for the second half, having received sustenance and nourishment and encouragement and motivation. This is what the gathering does. When we gather, whether that's and it's not just the, the central gathering, it's when we gather as missional communities or in core groups, we do that to motivate each other, to love each other, to motivate each other to love God, to motivate each other to love our neighbors, to motivate each other to love or to do good works. The gathering is for our mutual encouragement. And I would say this is especially important right now because who among us can honestly say that they don't need encouragement to love and do good works? Who can honestly say, you see, after this year, my motivation to serve Jesus and to love my neighbors is at an all-time high? I don't think any of us can say that and this is why during the pandemic, we've worked so hard to keep gatherings going online. It's why we've encouraged our missional communities to persevere, loving their neighbors, even, and, and meeting together, even though Zoom is draining and awkward. Everyone does this. Zoom, isn't it? That's Zoom summed up. Sometimes the odd thumbs up. That's why we have pursued these things, even though they're hard, because we need each other. You need me and I need you. We need to be provoked to keep going, to keep on loving, to keep doing good works. And listen, I get it. I feel it too. I, I really do. The temptation to not log on for gathering, to not go on Zoom when your MC is meeting, to just watch TV when, when, instead of coming to the prayer meeting. I get it, believe me. I feel that too. But it's because it's hard is the reason we should do it. Not because it's easy. We do it because it's hard, because we need each other. And by the way, can I just say this? If you want encouragement this week, why not try the prayer meeting tomorrow night? If you want to be motivated to love and do good works this week, try the prayer meeting tomorrow night. If you want to see God at work in your life and hear God at work in the lives of other people, just come to the prayer meeting. Now listen, Verse 25 warns us of the habit of neglecting to meet together. And I think this is particularly relevant for us right now as we prepare to come out of lockdown in the next few weeks and begin gathering in person again. I'll come back to that later on at the end. 
Because here's the thing about habits, right? You don't develop a habit overnight. Habits form over time with repeated behavior. And what have we had over this past year? A time of repeatedly not gathering together in person. And yes, while we're excited about being able to meet together again in person, and even in a few months' time being able to be in each other's homes again, it also may be the case that we will have to break the habit of not meeting together. It's easier on a Sunday morning to stay in your jammies and put the live stream on with a cup of coffee than it is to to get up, get the kids dressed, and come out to gathering. It's easier to make your excuse and stay at home than it is to get yourself out of the house in the middle of a busy week to be with your MC family. And please don't get me wrong, I am so, so thankful for the technology that has allowed us to keep meeting online this year. But watching a live stream is a temporary measure. It's the best we can do during a hard time, but it cannot replace the physical meeting together as the people of God. The command is this, because we have full access to God and because Jesus is our great high priest, let's not neglect meeting together so that we can motivate each other to love and do good works. And the final part of this command here is that we live our day-to-day lives in the anticipation of Jesus coming back, right? Jesus has promised that he is coming back. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us when Jesus is coming back. God, in his wisdom and grace to us, has decided not to reveal that to us, okay? So it could be today. It could be before the end of this sermon. Although if you're watching the recording later on, then you'll know that it didn't happen before the end of the sermon. Um, or it could be in a thousand years. Who knows? God knows, and only God knows. But here's what the Bible does tell us about Jesus' return. Before Jesus returns things are going to get harder for Christians, not easier. There's going to be more chaos in the world. Our our worldview is going to be more opposed. We're going to be persecuted more. We're going to face more oppression. There's going to be more and more satanic attack on Christians. And so if that's true, as Jesus, in the time leading up to Jesus returns, if that's true, we need to lean into the church community more, not pull away from it. What Hebrews is saying is that as the time gets closer to Jesus' return, our King return, we need to stir each other up to love and good works more because things are going to get harder for us, not easier. Listen, too much is at stake for us to neglect one another. Our spiritual well-being is at stake. Jesus is coming back. And so we need to be serious about this. So here's some practical things to think about as we come towards the end today. How about next time your MC is getting together on Zoom, you take time to think about how you can encourage the people in your MC, right? Why not pray and ask God to help you motivate your brothers and sisters in living in the way of Jesus? If you're meeting someone for a walk this week, someone from your core, someone from your MC, why not pray and think about how to stir them up? Or here's here's an easy one. Why not for the next week? Sometimes I think about this simple thing and I just imagine what our church would be like if we did this. Why not every day this week, for the next week, text someone, 
every day, someone different, every day, with a word of encouragement. And I guarantee you, there's one thing for sure, that whoever you encourage will not have had too much encouragement that day. There is literally zero harm that can come from encouraging people. Why not do that? It's so easy. Let's stir each other up and let's consider, let's be intentional about how we encourage each other. Because we have access to God and the advocacy of Jesus, let's constantly encourage one another. Now, here's what I want to finish with. I know that you're finding things hard at the minute. I know that it's hard enough to figure out how to meet together, never mind having the motivation to do that. I know that it feels like your fuel tank is empty. I know that some of you are lonely. I know that some of you are grieving. I know that some of you are in the darkest, the darkness of the fog of depression. And here I am telling you hold on to hope. And you say, how can you tell me to hold on to hope when hope seems in short supply? Listen, the meeting together is way down my priority list. The holding on to hope is hard because things seem hopeless. And drawn near to God? Honestly, I don't even know if I can do that. Tell me, is it really worth it? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know how I know that? Because of what it cost. I know it's worth it because of what it costs for us to have access to God and for Jesus to become our advocate. And it's hidden in here in verse 20. Let's go back to verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You see, in the temple, there was this massive thick curtain that went from the ceiling to the floor, the thickness of a man's hand. And it prevented just anyone having access to the presence of God. And at the very moment that Jesus gave up his breath, and died on the cross, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. It was a symbol that access to God was now available to everyone. And here's the thing. Our confident access comes not through a torn curtain, but through the the torn body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' body torn apart by Roman whips, a crown of thorns, the hammering of nails in the flesh, a soldier's spear in the side. That's the cost of our access to God. And that's the proof that we have access to Him. Listen, church, it's not because a curtain was torn in two that we have access to God. It's because Jesus' body was torn. And if you're not a Christian, the way is open for you too. You have access. Just trust in Jesus. It's only through Him that anyone can come to God. Everything we have talked about this morning is based on what Jesus did on the cross. We pursue intimacy with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. We hold on to hope, the hope that we have in the sacrifice of Jesus. And we encourage one another because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And by taking hold of Jesus' death on the cross and entering into the presence of God through him, and living lives of encouraging each other constantly, we're we're taking that that check off the wall, we're taking it out of the frame, and we're using it to meet our deepest need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak directly to our hearts. Um, Father, I pray that you would Teach us uh, not to be um, what do I need to know Christians or not just what do I need to do Christians, but that we would be hearers and doers. 
that we would take all the knowledge that we have of you through your word and we would allow it to shape our lives, that we would apply it to our lives. Father, help us to, to not be enamored by just all the things the world tells us are precious, but just to pursue intimacy with you. Lord, you, you bought our intimacy at the highest cost. Lord, you want to be close to us. Father, help us to encourage one another this week, to, to, to just keep motivating each other. Lord, we do feel it. We feel it right now that things are getting harder for us to be Christians. It's harder to speak up for our faith in, in, on social media, in our workplaces, even in our families, Lord. Um, help us to, to encourage one another. Thank you that you haven't left us alone, but that you've given us the church, you've given us the community of believers. Father, we need your help. We need your help to, to walk after your ways. Lord, you know that it's, uh, you know that it's hard to just love and, and do good works, even at the best of times. Father, thank you that we have this great hope in the Lord Jesus. May we never put our hope in anything else. Lord, we do long for the day of your return. We say, come, Lord Jesus. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, Lord, thank you that you hold on to us so that we can hold on to you. In Jesus' name, amen.